don't know about you, but singing Christmas hymns is one of my favorite things. It is so beautiful. You guys did a fantastic job. And there's nothing like celebrating together what God has done for us in sending Jesus into the world. Amen? Let's read together out of Isaiah 53. We are in an Advent sermon series here. Advent, of course, meaning the arrival of someone very important. And in our story, in the Christian story, the Advent, the arrival of someone important is the arrival of Christ into the world. And the thing about it is, Jesus' birth was foretold. Or you could say it was prophesied in the Old Testament. We knew it was coming. God's people knew it was coming. And yet, even when he came, he came in a very surprising, unexpected way. We talked last week about when Christ came, he came as king of kings. People anticipated Christ coming as king of kings. But one of the things that the Old Testament tells us that was hard for people in Jesus' day to quite put together is that Jesus would also come as suffering servant. And the prophetic word about a king coming who would suffer for the sins of the world is found right here in Isaiah 53. When Christ came, he came as the suffering servant foretold in Isaiah 53. The prophet's word goes like this. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain. And bore our suffering. And yet we considered him punished by God. Stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify Many. He will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, 
because he poured out his life unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. And as you are seated, we do have kingdom kids today. So any of our children who are four years old through second grade can head out. And what a joyous noise that always is to hear. And parents always say, thank God for Kingdom Kids. We're so grateful for that ministry. And a plug, my wife is the one that takes care of that. And I'm proud of her for all the hard work she does to put together Kingdom Kids. It is a blessing for us. A couple other blessings we can anticipate in this Christmas season is in a few weeks, we're going to have a Christmas presentation Ms. Shannon Ash is organizing that for us, and she's got a great team of volunteers. Uh, folks from our own congregation are going to be sharing a play presentation of the birth of Christ, and it's going to be told in kind of an interesting way. It's kind of a modern retelling that's humorous, and yet it also shares a true meaning of Christmas. So it's going to be a really wonderful time together. That's in two weeks from today on the 19th of December during the morning worship service. And then we're going to have an encore presentation that evening. So what I want you to do is I want you to take this little invite card that's on the table in the foyer and in the back. If you haven't gotten one of these, get a couple of these today. And what I want you to do is I want you to invite your friends and family who may not have a church home to come that morning. And then some of you have church fam or you have friends who do have a church home. They go to the Methodist church or the Lutheran church or whatever. Invite them to come in the evening. And so we got a little something for everybody in our community. And if you take these beautiful little cards, you just hand them out. It's an easy way for them to have information. It doesn't have the evening one, or yeah, it doesn't have the evening one on there. It just has the morning one on there. But when you mention it to those who have a church home already, you just say, hey, we're doing it in the evening as well. And so you can invite them to that. And then we're going to have just a little reception afterwards, after the play at 6 p.m., which will last about 50 minutes or so. We'll have a reception afterwards in our fellowship hall. It's just a wonderful time to celebrate the birth of Christ and, and how uh, wonderful the presentation was that we got to hear about that. And then the last thing I'll mention on the card is our Christmas Eve service. Just put that out there. Be aware of that. That's coming on Christmas Eve, which is a Friday this year. And Christmas Day is, of course, on Saturday. And that also is a great opportunity to invite folks. And that information is on here as well. Well, one of the things we just wrapped up was a sermon series through the Psalms, the book of Psalms, sometimes called the Psalter, and it was really a wonderful time. And what I heard back from a lot in our congregation is how much you enjoyed reading, being on a scripture reading plan together. And so in that same spirit, we want to provide for you Christmas Advent devotional readings that, that start with scripture and that has a devotional thought each day that you can participate in. Now, I'll be honest with you, it started last week, but you're not too far behind. Today's only the fifth. So you're only a few days behind and each devotional is pretty short. But you'll see these little red books called Joy to the World. I've got some on the table here and on both tables as you leave today. Just pick one of these up. Feel free to take one to a friend or family member you think might enjoy it. And then as you're reading each day, the devotion marked out for that specific day, you'll be reading along with your church family and others about uh, the celebration and the joy we have in the coming of Christ. So I want to make sure you're aware of that as well. Okay, I think that's, let me check my hand. I wrote my notes on my hand. Oh, I got one more thing. And then we're going to pray and get into Isaiah 53. Doesn't our sanctuary look beautiful today? Doesn't it look great? 
I love Christmas time because it always, when it, we get the tree up and we got the wreaths out and you saw the, the uh, manger scene on your way in, it just looks so great. If you helped with that, I know Joyce Morris is always the one that spearheads it, but she had some help. If you helped that, would you stand so we could just thank you? Just real quick, real brief. If you, st if you helped decorate the sanctuary, just stand. Thank you all so much. Okay. Appreciate you guys so much. It is such a, a wonderful, this part of the, the joy of Christmas. You see things, you know, just lighten up and become bright and beautiful. Uh, but I'll be honest, you know, Christmas is not just, a, you know, always a cheerful thing, is it? We would love to think of the Christmas joy that we have, and I think that's a good thing, and we should be celebrating. It should be wonderful, but, but we also recognize Christmas can also be very difficult for some people. Uh, this may be the first Christmas without a loved one or, or a close friend who may have passed away in the previous year. Christmas may be difficult because you're going through a particularly hard time. Christmas may be difficult because, you know, the loss of a relationship or uh, division in your family or financial strain and you want to get all the greatest gifts for everybody you know and love and you can't afford that kind of thing this year. There may be a whole number of reasons while Christmas can be maybe a little bit of a bittersweet season, you, you know that we're supposed to be joyful and happy, and yet maybe inwardly you're struggling and you're going through a difficult time. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know, we should not exclude that because that is part of the Christmas story, sadly. But in this world, Jesus promised us we will have troubles. Now he says, take heart, I have overcome the world. But he doesn't sugarcoat it for us. He says, you are going to have troubles and rooted right in the center of the Christmas story is trouble it's suffering it's difficulty so I think we can find a lot of hope and comfort in this prophetic word from the prophet Isaiah about the suffering servant who would come into the world so we're going to turn our attention to that now and I invite you to join me in prayer as we prepare to hear from the Lord Father God, it has been such a wonderful morning from Bible study all the way through the service this morning. It's a reminder to me of the importance that you have placed on your people gathering together. We need each other. You have provided this for us, a church family, a church home. And I'm just so very grateful that we have these opportunities to pray for each other, visit with one another. Sing to you. Remind each other of things that are true. Give in the abundance that you have given us in our tithes and offerings. And God, to hear your word, both taught in our small group Bible study and here in the worship service. And so we just open ourselves to you, God, and we, we want to invite you to speak to us. God, you have something to say to us through your word every time we open it. And and we're believing that today, that you, you want to speak to us. And God, I know, even for myself, there's all sorts of things that can make that a challenge. All sorts of distractions, all sorts of you know, things running through our mind, things we need to do, lists we need to make, troubles that we brought in to this place today. God, we just submit all those to you. And ask that in the midst of all of that, your voice will be heard in our ears would soften our hearts and ready us to go from this place to live out what you've taught us. This is what we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
Well, I've already done a lot of introduction to this sermon, telling you about Isaiah and the prophecy and all of that. But there is something that sticks in my mind when I think about Jesus coming into the world because it was so anticipated. You have these parts in the Old Testament where, where God is clearly saying through, through prophets that I'm going to send someone into the world who, who's going to rule and reign forever. Uh, when you read something like Psalm 22, you read that through and you say, well, there, there's Jesus right there. Also, when you read Isaiah 53, you say, well, there is Jesus right there. And sometimes we can think, well, why didn't they understand that back then? Like, if you know a little bit about the Bible, you know that not everybody received Jesus, right? He got himself into some trouble. His claim on himself as King of Kings, Messiah, which means the anointed one, same word, Christ, is matched with Messiah, Messiah in Hebrew, Christ in Greek, means the same thing, the anointed one, someone God has chosen to be in charge, to be the king of kings. Like, they knew that. So why did they reject him? Because the king was supposed to come and sit on a throne and be in charge of a kingdom. This king was never to be threatened, always to be victorious. That was the king they were expecting. They were expecting in one moment, one king that would right all wrongs, and not for just a little while, but forever. And if you know the story of Jesus, God laid out a slightly different plan. This king would be born, but he would suffer. When we understand that, it begins to make sense. This is why Jesus wasn't as well received as you might expect because of all the prophecy in the Old Testament. And here he is, and he's doing things that no one should be able to do. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. He's even able to bring people back from the dead, if you know the story of Lazarus, right? Surely all these things he's doing point to this reality, not to mention his incredibly powerful teaching. All of these things should point to the fact that he is the one that the Old Testament prophesied about. He is the king of kings. But this particular king, this Messiah, this Christ prophesied about was to always be victorious. That's how they understood it. They did not see that the king of kings was the same thing as the suffering servant. It was only after the victorious resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus that these two things began to be put together. Now, I think that's a really powerful word to us because our life is to be victorious, right? We are to have victory. We're to have success. We're be able, we should be able to conquer evil. We should be able to win in the name of the Lord through the Holy Spirit and the power of God. We should have strength and we should have the ability to, to make it through anything. I believe that. I also believe this life is marked by a fair amount of suffering and difficulty and challenge. And that to live in this world, in this flesh, means we're going to get a good share of it. That's where I say what Jesus said is right. In this world, you will have trouble. This is true. But take heart, I have overcome the world. That's what Jesus says. 
It's a perfect picture of what Jesus is doing. He comes as a conquering king who will suffer and die and rise again. And in the mind of the people, even his own disciples did not understand this. This is, if you read the gospel stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, gospel means good news, by the way. The good news written to us by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about Jesus, they would say things like the disciples did not believe that Jesus was resurrected. They couldn't believe it. Before that, they argue with Jesus about dying. Well, you can't die. You're going to be the conquering king. How can you die? And you have people like Peter, the leader of the group, saying things like, that's never going to happen. As long as I'm around, that is never going to happen. I will not allow that to happen. How do you put those two things together? And after the resurrection of Jesus, God's people began to see, okay, he is conquering king, but he's also the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. And that makes a lot of sense of our life experience as well. We have victory in Jesus. Yes, amen. And yet, like Jesus, we will experience our fair amount of suffering in this world as well. But what I really want to focus on is Isaiah 53. What I really want to look at is the scripture before us and what it has to say to us. Because there's some really powerful things here that I think are worth remembering especially this time of year. So we're asking the question, when Christ comes into the world, how does he come into this world? Who is he? What does he set out to do? What's his agenda? What's he about? Let's not assume. Let's look at scripture, see what he has to say to us. And it tells us that yes, Christ came as conquering king, but he came also as a suffering servant. Christ came into the world to suffer and to die. Before we get on to the victory of resurrection, which is most certainly in Isaiah 53, we start with this. Sin is bad. Then we look at, yet sinners are loved. And finally, then we see, in Christ we are no longer sinners, we're victorious saints. That's where we're going. So the first thing is, sin is bad. I know it's a very complicated sentence. Sorry for that, but I bet you're tracking and you understand what I'm saying. Well, where do we get that? Well, it's not hard to find that in this passage, right? Verse 4, surely he took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought peace on him and by his wounds we are healed. What that's telling us is that sin is bad. It's not just bad, it's very bad. Sin is anything we do outside of the will of God. It may be things that we do we shouldn't do. And it may be things that we should do, but we don't do. Either way, it's sin. And the scriptures teach us that when we sin, we put distance between us and God. The relationship we should have with God is broken, it's fractured. There's space between us and Him. This makes total sense to me because this is how every relationship operates. You know, God is a relational God. He exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have had a perfect relationship since the beginning, since before the beginning of time. So when we're created in God's image, what does that tell us? It tells us we too are created as relational beings. 
So we live in relationship. And what happens when someone sins against you or you sin against someone else? What happens? Distance. Space. Sometimes the loving, warm feelings go away. Sometimes anger rises up. Sometimes the cold shoulder is employed, right? When we're sinned or we're sinned against, there's distance in a relationship. And I don't know about you, but some of the worst fights, Marsha's not here, so she's not going to go back and listen to this, so I'll just tell you guys, but don't say anything to her. No, I won't tell you anything she doesn't already know. Some of our worst fights were over the dumbest, smallest things. You ever have that? Like some of you married couples are like, yep. Some of the dumbest fights, because it has nothing to do with those little, small, petty things, right? It's, it's other things going on in your relationship that can cause that friction. And when something happens, it's not really about the thing, it's about other things. And then you have this blow up, you have this fight, and then you have this distance. You have this space. This is a human experience, but it's also the same experience we can have with God. That when we sin against God, we put space between our creator and us, his creation. That's what makes sin bad. Now, it makes it bad for you. When you sin, it causes problems for you, right? When you do something wrong, like, I'm going to break the law. What happens when you break the law? You're going to get in trouble. Now, that's bad for you. But your sin is not that you broke the law. That's not the first primary issue. The primary issue is you violated God's rules, right? That's what sin is, first and foremost, is a sin against God. And then it's a sin against humanity and yourself. Now you've got to pay a fine. You've got to go to defensive driving, right? And so now you're in trouble. Now you've got to deal with that. But it doesn't just affect you. Now your weekends are tied up. The money you would have spent on things for your family is gone. And so now your, your sin has affected other people, right? That's how sin is. That's how bad sin is, is it gets into everything. So when we read here that, that this suffering servant, who we understand to be Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. Now, isn't that a prophetic word? Because he was literally pierced. Not only the nails in his hands and his feet, but in his side, he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. What is it telling us? It's telling us that separation between us and God is really bad. Because the very reason you and I were made was to have a relationship with God, and sin has interrupted that. That's, so there is no small sin. All sin, while having different outcomes and different consequences and different levels of damage that can be caused by that sin, every sin, regardless of what the sin is, puts a little space between us and God, sometimes a lot of space. And that's what is so bad about sin. That's why the punishment is so severe. The punishment has to match the crime, and the crime of a sin against an eternal being is an eternal crime, an eternal sin, demanding an eternal punishment. And this is where we see Jesus stepping in saying, I will take that punishment. Every sin we've ever committed, even if you only committed one, and even if by your standard and mine it was pretty minor, is enough to put space between us and God. And someone has to cover the distance to make up that space. This too makes complete sense to me. Going back to earlier, 
When you are in a relationship with someone, could be your children, could be your spouse, girlfriend, boyfriend, could be your boss, could be your employees, could be your neighbors, doesn't matter, in-laws, doesn't matter, anybody. When there's sin between the two of you, there's distance. Someone has to cover, travel the space of that distance to make things right. In an ideal world, well, there would be no sin, but keeping that in mind, in an ideal world where forgiveness is needed, both parties would come their appropriate distance. And you would know what that is. I sinned against you 42%. That means your sin against me is what? Whatever the difference between 42 and 100 is. This is why I don't do accounting. But you know what that is, right? So you would know, I need to come 42% of the way, you need to come the other. And you would just do that automatically. That's not really how it works. But you understand, when there's distance, someone has to travel the gap. Someone has to say, I was wrong about this, and I'm sorry. If you have seriously sinned against someone and wronged someone, and you can't do that, guess what? There will always be distance in that relationship. Some people are hard-headed. Some people are stubborn. Some people won't. Say, those words don't exist in their vocabulary. I have sinned against you. I was wrong, and I'm sorry. Like, you're hearing this for the first time. You're like saying, what? You can say that? I'm never saying that. I've never said that in my life. And if I said it, I wouldn't mean it because it wouldn't be true, right? Some of us are just hard-headed. But in reality, in our relationship with God, none of us are covering that distance. The distance is too great. Remember, a sin against an eternal being is an eternal sin. We can never travel that eternal distance that we have created in our sin between us and God. It's impossible. We can't do it. Even if we tried, even if we really, really wanted to, we can't make up the space between us and him. So when God sends Jesus into the world, it's God saying, I'll cover 100%. I'll come all the way. I'll meet you where you are. Jesus comes after the sinners like you and me. That's what he's doing when he comes into the world. He comes to suffer for us that we might have a relationship with God that we can't make happen on our own. He is covering the gap 100%. That's what Jesus does for us. So it tells us the second thing, sin is bad, but we are loved. Sinners like you and me, we're loved. Our sin doesn't keep us from God. Our sin doesn't put space between us and him. Look at verse 10. The very beginning of it says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Now, some translations won't just say it that way. It will say, yet it Please the Lord to crush him. And I got to tell you, that's always uh, been a bit perplexing to me. Why would it please God the Father to punish Jesus, his son? And I think that would be a misreading of what this prophetic word is. It's not that it pleased God to punish his son. It pleased God to connect all of his creation back to him after sin has been, in, in, been introduced into the world, even though it would be through the suffering of his son. It wasn't the act of Jesus' death and crucifixion and all that suffering that pleased the Father. It was what was going to happen as a result. He was pleased that the entire world would have a chance to have a relationship with him, even though everybody has sinned. 
as Isaiah wrote, all are like sheep and have gone astray. Even though that's true, God loves us so much that he's provided a way for us to have the relationship with him that we were created to have. We are loved that much. So when we read, if you're reading in a different translation than the NIV I'm reading out of, and you read that it pleased the Lord, what pleased him was not that Jesus would be punished for us. It was the result of that punishment that Jesus would take. What pleased the Lord is to say, all of these folks who are like sheep have gone astray. I've sacrificed for them, I've made them, I've taken care of them, and yet they just walk away. If that were me, I'd be bitter, I'd be angry. I say, you don't want to be here, go. I don't care. Out with you. You don't want anything to do with me? Fine. I don't want anything to do with you. That's my human nature talking. But when we as sheep have wandered away from God, our shepherd, who has made us and loved us and tended to us and cared for us and provided for us and blessed us, and he sees us leaving him behind, he doesn't sit with his arms folded, angry and mad at us, though he has every right to be. In the parable of the sheep, he gets up and goes after us, chases us down until we're found. Isn't that good news? When we talk about the gospel, it means good news. This is the good news. That's the kind of God we have. He comes after us. He closes the distance between us and him. Why? Because God is love. It is his nature to love, and he chooses to love us. The wonderful thing about this is that while in the midst of this story of suffering and death, of this suffering servant who we understand to be Jesus, is that there's a glimpse of hope at the end of chapter 53 of Isaiah. I will give him a portion among the great. He'll divide the spoils with the strong. He'll be numbered with even though he was numbered with the transgressions and bore the sins of many, he will have ultimate victory. This means we have victory too. His victory is ours. When Jesus rose from the dead, he was breaking the power of sin and opening up a way for us to have victory over sin. Not in our own self, but in what he has done for us. That means even while we may be suffering in this world and we may be finding Jesus' words to be absolutely true, there is trouble in this world, we also know, either by experience or by hope, that victory is coming. Because Jesus had victory, I too will have victory. Because Jesus won the battle for me, I will win the battle in him. Not because I am a winner and victorious in myself, but because he is. It's vicarious. His victory is ours. His conquering is ours. This is incredible news. This is what helps us keep going. For those of you who are going through Christmas, and it is not an entirely joyful season. It is very difficult and challenging. There have been losses. And you're going to feel them. And no amount of sermon or scripture you read or prayers you pray are going to protect you from all of it. It's going to creep in. What can you do about that? Just keep reminding yourself of truth. Yes, it's hard now. Yes, there are troubles now. But there is in Christ an overcomer. And I get in on that. 
So I don't have to pretend like I'm not suffering. I can say yes, but in Christ there is victory. It may take a while to get there. It may not happen automatically or quickly or the way I want it to, but there is a coming victory in Christ for me. And praise God for that. Let's pray together. God, it's amazing how you put together your word in such a way to give us these glimpses from the Old Testament to the New, from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, from a world marked by sin to a world of opportunity where there is grace. God, we thank you for that. I pray for those who are here this morning that they know sin is bad. It's weighing heavily on them. They don't know what to do with it. They sense the separation between you and them. God, I pray that they would hear clearly that, yes, we are so bad that you had to send your son Jesus into the world to die for us, but yet we are so loved that for this joy set before him, he would come and suffer for us. God, that they may know that there is victory in Jesus that they can never earn and they can never lose. Each of us need this reminder. Some for the hundredth time, maybe some coming to this realization for the first time. But God, I pray that you would probe our hearts, speak to us, convict us, comfort us. Do the work only your Holy Spirit can do in our lives, even now. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the message here this morning is one uh, for all of us, but yet some have yet to embrace Christ to be that one that takes the sin away, that washes them clean. And I just want to say to you, this is an opportunity to say to the Lord, I believe that Jesus died for me. I trust that he was enough, that even though I'm a great sinner, he is my great Savior. In a simple prayer uttered in some similar words to that is all it takes. The faith to believe that Jesus died for you and your sins, that's all it takes. The Bible tells us very clearly, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if that's you today, I want to invite you to respond to that. Talk to the Lord about that. You can share that with me. Be glad to hear that. Be glad to pray for you and talk about what God would have you do next. But that is a decision that you will make in your life you'll never regret. And it's a decision that you make, one decision that will change the trajectory of not just your life on earth, but your eternal being can be changed by that one decision to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so as we've seen in the scripture here today, God did that for you because he loves you. And if you just embrace that, you get to be a part of his family forever. We thank God for that. We praise God for that. And we're going to sing and worship God together because of that. So let's stand together.